0: Welcome to the For the Church podcast, another great gospel-centered resource from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Jared Wilson. I'm an assistant professor of pastoral ministry and author in residence at Midwestern Seminary. And I'm very pleased to have a good friend, uh, a great pastor and minister, great church leader with us on the podcast today to talk about his new book. You know, essential to every healthy church is a biblical model of leadership. In the New Testament, church leadership is built around a team of elders working together, each bringing his own unique skills and gifts to the cause of shepherding the flock God entrusted to them. However, in many churches today, the principle of plurality in eldership is often misunderstood, mistakenly applied, or completely ignored. In his new book, Dave Harvey encourages church leaders to prioritize plurality for the surprising ways that it helps churches to flourish. This book not only builds a compelling case for churches to adopt and maintain biblical elder pluralities guided by solid leadership, but also supplies practical tools to help elders work together for transformation. Dave is the president of the church planting ministry called Great Commission Collective, He's pastored for 33 years plus. He's founded amicalled.com and travels widely across networks and denominations as a conference speaker. And he's authored numerous books, including the book we're going to talk about today, The Plurality Principle. There's a tongue twister. The Plurality Principle, How to Build and Maintain a Thriving Church Leadership Team. Dave Harvey, brother, how are you, Jared? It's always nice to be with you. It's good to see you. I know. I mean, this is a podcast; it's just audio, but uh, it's good seeing your face. You look good, actually. Have you been like working out and living in that Florida sun or something? Yeah, it helps. (laughs) And you got you got the cool glasses and and everything. I feel (laughs) I I feel shamed right now because I'm in a hoodie and. I just put a cap, you know, ball cap on my head, and, uh, well, and you that's look that's good, man. the imprint
1: man. of my wife. She, she's good at picking out <laughs> clothes and glasses for me to make sure I don't look like an old man.
0: <laughs> there you go. I should probably submit more to my wife's sartorial uh, direction in, 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 in my own life. Uh, hey, before we kind of dig into um, your new book, uh, tell me a little bit about the Great Commission Collective. What's that all about?
1: Yeah, so the Great Commission Collective was started— about three years ago to plant churches and strengthen leaders. And, and so we're seeking to plant churches as aggressively as our values allow but not simply leave them in the field without support and without encouragement and training and care. So we continue to connect with them. And then there's also churches that are already affiliated with the ministry that get together and, you know, for relational events and and training events and and things like that. I'm really enjoying uh, being part of the group. I, I have the privilege of leading them. I've been doing that for about a year and a half now. And so it's a, you know, it's a good season, Jerry. Yeah, well, even with uh, the pandemic
0: and, and, and things going on, have you seen things slow down at all? Or are you seeing uh, same pace kind of uh, or even increased pace of, uh, you know, plans for planting and that sort of thing?
1: Well, I think the uh... – The first few months, things definitely slowed down uh, for the churches. I'd say for us on the network side, we saw some of the needs that were immediately emerging. And so we were trying to mobilize as quickly as possible to put together training, to release funding, and to make sure the guys had what they needed to process the information that they needed to process in order to provide leadership for the churches. So on the other side of that, then, I think there was an easier rhythm. But we just had, you know, we had our, our first church planting conference. It was going to be an online, it was going to be a physical conference. Yeah. We were, we had Paul Tripp scheduled to come in and we moved the whole thing online and still had an overwhelming response. And, you know, about four times the number of people we expected to to sign up ended up signing up. And so there's, there's a, I, what I, what I take from that, Jared, is there's, there's still a hunger out there yeah. and that the pandemic has only intensified the longings to see the mission go forward.
0: Yeah. You know, I've, um, is just anecdotal, of course, but in in my coaching group and some other um, avenues, the church planters that I've stayed in in, in contact with, and in particular the ones who were like just launching or forming even their core group when all of this kind of went you know kind of shut down last uh, March of last year or or, or thereabouts, um, I'm seeing this sort of upsurge of encouragement and enthusiasm um, that's actually kind of you know emerging from. Uh, what were really kind of a doldrums over last summer in particular, and into early, uh, you know, early fall of last year. Um, and so I'm greatly encouraged. Actually, I, I think you know the the Lord is doing something really mighty, as He always is, but He's doing something really fantastic. And uh, and I even think I was looking this morning, you know, trying to find this morning there was a uh, a social media post from John Mark Clifton with the North American Mission Board about some of the NAM church planting efforts that have been um uh you know on the upswing and it was just encouraging news like the increase in, in church planting so the yeah. lord's church marches on doesn't she there's, there's no
1: stopping the kingdom of god <laughs> it does and and we had a couple of churches that actually shut down because of the pandemic um and and we sought to honor them and to acknowledge God's grace upon their life, and and to basically make the statement for the whole network and lay out this value that every church planter is a hero. Yes. you know for for a lot of church planters your churches move on for some church planters they don't but they're just as much of a hero for doing what they did as those who, who move on and to to establish that value because i think that will help in, inspire risk and it, and it speaks to the elephant in the room for church planters i mean they you know we all fear failure but a church planner is really hanging it out yes. and uh so you know that was part of the way this played out for us during the pandemic
0: that's fantastic. What a good word. Hey, let's talk about your new book, The Plurality Principle, Building and Maintaining Thriving Church Leadership Team. Uh, why this book, and 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 why now?
1: Yeah, Jared, I think several different things were kind of converging in, in my mind. Uh, the, the first was, and this is in no order of importance, but the first one that jumps to mind was, you know, after working with pastors and elders and churches for more than 30 years. um, This has surfaced as one of the greatest and most consistent weaknesses that I encounter among leaders in churches. So the the lack of clarity on why God calls us to plurality and the low vision for what a, a healthy plurality can actually do to impact the life and the quality of the church. So the the plurality principle. There is actually a principle in the book. The plurality principle is the quality of the elder team determines the health of the
0: church. That's right. Yeah.
1: So uh, that was one thing. Uh, a second was that I, while there are a number of good books on eldership. I mean, I think Strock's book and what the Nine Mark guys are doing and the Beatty and uh, you know a lot of good stuff out there. I haven't found a lot of good material that specifically addresses the meaning and opportunities that we have in team ministry. So I think it's kind of an under-addressed topic in the field of books that are written on eldership. Um, So that was going around. And here's another one. Uh, As I look at the celebrity pastor phenomenon, and and specifically the guys that have— have fallen one common denominator among all of them was the establishing of a kind of pseudo plurality you know this <laughs> yeah. this select group of peers from outside of their church who provide them care and accountability rather than the local church elders and and and, and the problem here is not that it, it merely creates an unaccountable arrangement. It basically constitutes an unaccountable arrangement for the leader. But what it also does is it undermines the entire existence. And practice of plurality for the elders in that church. So there's no quicker way to communicate a team's irrelevance than to say, for the lead guy to say that they are insufficient to care for you, insufficient to shape you, insufficient to hold you accountable. You know, that just detonates the whole plurality thing. So seeing how much that was going on, uh, I think was spinning in my mind as well.
0: Yeah, I think that's a significant issue. In fact, on on another recent episode, uh, my 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 co-host Ronnie and Kurtz and I were talking about how a plurality can be undermined when you, when you minimize uh, parity that, that, you know, the, you know, the goal of plurality or, or the, the height of, of plurality of eldership is actually um, seeking out or trying to reemphasize a, a, a parity among the elders as well, rather than kind of a board of yes men or, you know, you know, just board members, businessmen that are being yes. chaired by, the, you know, the real pastor, so to speak, um, you know, at, at at my last church, um, I went through a a three-year process of, um, you know, working the church to establish the uh, plurality of elders. When when I got there was a solo pastor model. Um, I was convicted, you know, biblically, um, that we needed, uh, multiple pastors that that's the biblical model for, um, you know, church leadership. And it took me three years. I just kind of walked the church very slowly through this process, um, to get to the point of even putting in the bylaws, multiple pastors and what these multiple pastors do and, and, and all that sort of thing. Um, and then of course, you know, finding the right candidates and assessing them and having the congregation affirm them based on our, uh, you know, church governance and that sort of thing. Um, and, and, and throughout that time there were, you know, questions, hesitancies, um, lack of clarity, sometimes just, you know, misinformation. What are some reasons um, that you have found that churches don't establish a plurality of el- of elders? What are some kind of speed bumps or even kind of blockades sometimes yeah. uh, for congregations?
1: Yeah, th- this is actually where the book starts, um, I because I, I think there are several that immediately jump out. Um, one is that is that plurality can be missing from the start. And, and this is really common with church planters. You know, they, they, they push to get the church going to get the church to grow enough to be self-sustaining but they don't tend to think as much about leadership development or eldership development and when the time for eldership development does come they they can appoint elders but not truly transfer and share authority for the church's direction uh, in reality and with integrity so it it can be hard for planters to move from a, a me to a a we uh because you know everything is rested on them and 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 that's really a defining moment for a planters whether they're they're willing to share authority and genuinely give it up and 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 and, and uh, turn it over so that's one i i think um Sometimes if there's a transition in the church, uh, the plurality can be kind of lost in, in transition. In other words, you have churches where there's established lay elders who see transitions of pastors in and out of the church. And they feel like they're the stewards of the church and, you know, kind of the old guard. And the pastors are just these hired guns who, you know, can have a little bit of a say, uh, so some pastors end up feeling like they're on the outside looking in yeah. on pluralities, and because uh, really the elders don't want to give up the, the the power and involve them. So I, I think that's another one. That's probably not as common. Uh, probably the most common one is that it's is this pluralities just uh, undervalued, I, I, and I think Jared, this is a this is a common temptation. With guys that are uniquely uniquely gifted and talented as pastors, um, you know, most of us kind of dwell within a common and familiar range of talent. You know, we're, you know, we're proud. Think yes, for yourself, brother. <laughs> well, I will. I will. <laughs> just kidding. Yeah, I'm just you're kidding. <laughs> probably one of the guys I'm talking about. No, no, no. Uh, we're yeah, you know. So we're proud, but we we also know that we need help to be fruitful. Yes. Yeah, but but there are these guys, these kind of um, leader, lead a leader of many talents. Let's call him. Um, he he's walked a different road. I, I mean, somewhere in his journey, he's discovered that he grasps things more quickly. He can diagnose problems more accurately. He can retain information longer. He can, he can uh, express ideas clearly, galvanize people, you know, more naturally. He's got charm and things like that. And so his experience in life has trained him to assume that, that given the space and the opportunity, he can typically accomplish his goals through his own leadership. And so for that guy, plurality seems unnecessary because plurality is inefficient and uh you know that's just a ultimately in the church world that's a crash waiting to happen yeah because uh plurality doesn't really w- work until leaders soberly realize not only their limits but begin to sense that, that the wisdom and the ideas that are necessary for guiding a church are beyond the capacity of any one individual, that God has designed it that way, that the that the, the leadership of the church, the strength of the church, the future of the church has to rest in the hands of many, not, not one. And so I think that's an issue as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I think too, also there's just a, for a lot of churches that have operated in a particular what you know, the solo pastor model, CEO model, if you want to call it that, but just you know, solo pastor model. Sometimes there's an ignorance, um, you know, and I don't mean that as an insult, but just a, a lack of clarity about the biblical uh teaching on this, and, and and so their tradition has become kind of the default, and there's a natural distrust of well, that you know, um, to talk eldership for instance, in, in some Baptist churches, even to use the word elder you know, even as some, you know, synonymous with pastor would sound, you know, Presbyterian or something like that. And to talk about multiple elders, now you're beginning to kind of you know, push the boundaries of, of tradition and kind of the nomenclature. But I remember this one lady in particular at, um, in, in my last pastor, as we were working through this, who said, um, you know, how do we know you're not just consolidating power when I was talking about multiplying the role? And I said, well, you know, I, I'm not a math guy at all, but, um, it can't be any more consolidated than it is now. Uh-huh. <laughs> you, you have just me multiplying the role means now there's people who can say, Jared, that's a stupid idea right Right now. There's, you know, that doesn't exist. So uh, sometimes I just think it's a lack of, of, of clarity on um, on, on the biblical teaching of the issue and, and and that sort of thing. What's one thing, Dave, that you have um, learned about plurality maybe, or one thing you know now about plurality that you wish you'd known when you started out in your ministry journey?
1: Well, I think it it connects in some ways to what we were, we were just talking about and that is that that plurality by design, by God's design, imposes patience and process on the role of governing. It's it's by design. Mm. And and some some leaders avoid it for that reason. Uh and I, I think it was harder for me as a new leader to grasp it because I I did value expedience above all. You, you know, I'm um, Jared, I'm looking over at my bookshelf because I've, I've got a book over there called *The uh, uh, The Patient Ferment of the Early Church*. It's by a guy oh, wow. named Larry Larry Kreider, and and he contends that that patient in the first three centuries of the church. Patience was the preeminent virtue wow. uh, for leadership development, and it was also viewed to be the mark of maturity among believers. So kind of like what humility is for us now, patience was for them back then. And uh, and, and when you think about it, they, they didn't ha- have ex- the ability to be expedient. They were persecuted people. Right. And so they didn't have the liberty to be expedient ex- assumes power. To be able to move people and systems, but when you're a persecuted people, um, all the urgency in the world doesn't necessarily bring fruit or or peace.
0: <laughs> right, right.
1: So I think I didn't get that when I was I was a new leader, um, uh, but eventually that began to land and and began to land deeply, and I began to develop con- convictions because the elder who gets plurality begins to understand that, that while there are times that expedience is absolutely necessary, there are times. But overall, God values other things more than expedience. He values humility, he values community, he values patience, he values character. And so with elders, he values not simply the decision that's made, but the means by which the decision is made. So what, is, what does God do? Well, God creates a system of government that requires character to maintain it. Because where, where character and humility are present, plurality can, can flourish. Where character and humility fail, the system just tends to unwind. And, and I didn't know that when I first started leading. And uh, I'm hoping to help other leaders <laughs> avoid my mistake by yeah. writing this book.
0: Well, you know, certainly we would advise anyone who's kind of working through this journey and, you know, we regularly get questions related to this. In fact, you know, just recorded another episode of the podcast this morning about elders meetings that was kind of prompted by um, a listener, you know, submitted question. And so this comes up quite a bit, especially from younger pastors, newer pastors who want to begin this process. I want to establish, you know, plurality at this church that, you know, just hired me. Um, You know, certainly you would say get Dave Harvey's book uh, as a starting point um, here. But um, if you were advising um, kind of how to begin this journey, how to begin the process, what are some things, some words of counsel you'd offer for the pastor who um, or just the church in general who wants to establish a plurality of, of elders in their church?
1: Well, I would encourage them to to teach the church on the role and importance of eldership and and in that the role and importance of, of plurality you know so make it clear that plurality is an important part of measuring the success of the eldership and measuring the success of the church um, and so I would start there by you know laying laying foundations of teaching God's word. I, I think if we're talking about like a, a situation where there's there's just a solo guy um I think there are ways to create, let's call them provisional pluralities. Okay. Um, You know, create a provisional plurality until you can walk in the real thing. In other words, you know, assemble a kind of leadership team, and make it clear to them up front that their role is temporary. Make it clear that they're not elders. Um, you know, make it clear that we're going to try this for a year. Um, but that nevertheless, you still want to begin to practice the principle of plurality. And so you want the benefit of their counsel and their advice and their friendship. But it's a, it's a provisional plurality. But the good part about that is it's, it then becomes a way to observe men who may be able to fill some of the eldership roles that will ultimately need to be offered for the church? Right. So, um, and you know, you do that for a year, and 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 I think during that year, you want to be uh, familiarizing yourself with some eldership training programs that that you can begin to. Uh, Investigate. Uh, You know, Strock has one based on his book. Uh, Bob Thune's book on gospel-centered eldership is really good. Um, I'm happy. You can contact me. I'm happy to talk to you about other ones that I could recommend. But uh, what you're doing is you're 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 trying to identify an eldership training program because you want to take that year and plan on at the end of that year starting an eldership training program, and. and 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 oftentimes Jared, like like for church planters, uh, um, or even a guy taking over a church. And and going through all of the adjustments of that, you know, th- they don't prioritize this because they feel like they don't have time. Yeah. And the things we want to say to them is, hey, there's nothing more important you can do over the next year than to find the time to train the elders. And uh, and by appointing elders, you're going to find that it's going to open up big blocks of time for you in the in the second year. So <laughs> right. So well, go for it. Yeah.
0: And 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 you know, every pastor planter is praying, desiring, working for growth in the church. And if you're not at the same time or in the beginning planning to establish, uh, you know, at some point, you know, you know, working towards plurality, you can may find yourself on your heels. If your church actually begins to grow and two, three years down the line, you've got the church under a solo pastor model that now becomes somewhat, uh, un, you know, um, unwieldy and, 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 you know, overly taxing on your time and your bandwidth. And now you're two, three years behind the process of, oh man, I need some help here. I need some other shepherds to kind of, mm-hmm. you know, help me carry the load. It was one of the first things, um, you know, that I thought to do. And, um, you know, one note that I would mention is sometimes, uh, solo pastors, they do inherit some kind of leadership structure, whether it's, a, um, you know, for me, it was a board of deacons that I had, um, for others, it's, you know, maybe some other leadership team. If, if you determine that that board is not what will be or should be, um, you know, in its entirety, and, you know, a group of elders, um, I had to get them on board so that like the first year of my process was basically teaching and working through with the existing leadership with the deacons, the need for elders for this, uh, you know, other, uh, um, you know, to, um, multiply my role essentially. And it took me a year to kind of walk through that. And then I began that, as you described, a year of working with the congregation, seeding it into, into messages. Um, and, and, and that culminated with, um, you know, a couple of what we called, you know, white papers. I find it funny, like, I don't know why I call them wh- white papers. Cause I mean, papers are white. Why don't we just call them papers? So <laughs> <laughs> did a couple of white papers on, on eldership and one on, um, why male only eldership. So basically the complementarian case and distributed those to the congregation. And that sort of ended with, putting it into the bylaws. And then I took a year to assess candidates, which is where I want to kind of, uh, shift now. What do you do? Um, what would be your advice for the pastor or planter, um, who is thinking, man, I I just don't, I know you mentioned kind of the training program a little bit or, or, or a training process. What do you do if there's just not enough qualified men in your church?
1: Yeah, I, I. I don't think my answer for that question would be dramatically different than what we talked about earlier, um, because I would still want to teach the church, um, and I would still want to create the provisional plurality. Yeah. Um, and and so I wouldn't want to conclude without doing that that there are no guys. Um, I want to, would want to go through that process and at least and and confirm. I think if there really are no guys, then I think we're we're left to having a provisional plurality and serious prayer. You know, Lord, bring <laughs> bring, bring bring elders to us, um, and and in the meantime, find the eldership training that you're that you're uh, you're going to use with them. You know, w- one thing worth accenting, I think when you're talking to the church and and to guys about the need to form an eldership, or you're talking to, let's say, a senior pastor or a lead pastor who's discouraged because he he doesn't have, uh, he doesn't seem to have these people in the church. Uh, one of the things that I noticed that when I was studying First Timothy 3 and, and Titus 1 in writing uh, the book Am I Called, is that Paul often uses the present tense controlling verb. In other words, he says they must be. So, so in First Timothy 3, he'll, he'll say the elder must be above reproach, must be sober-minded, must be self-controlled, respectable. And, and that verb tense carries throughout the passage, and the significance of that is that Paul isn't holding out the this list of traits that are yet to be achieved. He's talking about qualities already present yeah. in the men. They're like they're like preconditions. The Spirit of God has been actively at work in the congregation pouring out grace upon some men to manifest these qualities, and the senior pastor's role is to look over the congregation and see where that grace is present, because the Spirit of God has often been at work in, in that way. So, who are the who is the guy that people are drawn to, you know, who seems to be known for his character, who who's already influencing people for the right reasons. You know, those kinds of things can tell you about whether the spirit of God has already been at work preparing your elder for you.
0: That's fantastic. Yeah, I, I heard uh, Jonathan Lehman once say a similar thing, which was we don't have, at, at, you know, and, and I assume they did at Capitol Hill have some kind of El, you know, process where you put the raw material in one end and at the end, you know, at the other end pops out an elder, you know. And he uh-huh. said, like, we don't have a, a pipeline, so to speak. We look to see who's doing the work, who's who is qualified biblically, according, you know, first Timothy three, Titus one, first Peter five. Um, and 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 we look to see who's shepherding people without without the title, without. You know, without the office, so to speak. And we're kind of recognizing then, um, you know, how the Lord is already working in, in their life. That was hugely instructive um, to me as well. And, 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 you know, and I don't think it means that you can't, um, in your discipleship processes with men, hold out, you know, to say, not a guarantee or this is, you know, we're going to make you an elder at the end of this thing, but to say, hey, this is worth aspiring to. If you aspire to this, it's, it's actually a pursuit of of growing in these qualifications of these character traits. Um, so you know, seeing the fruit of the spirit in your life, this is the, the purpose of discipleship to becoming more like Christ. Um, but, but I just think it's really wise what you just shared, just in terms of seeing the men who are already kind of doing the work and in that way, uh, establishing elders is, is kind of a recognition or a recognizing, um, what, what men are already doing and what they're, uh, you know, been called to do without the office. Uh, so to speak brother it's been great talking with you this morning is Is there any final word of encouragement you would offer uh for this covid class of of planter pastor some uh you know something they can take home kind of in their in their heart about about the days ahead
1: well i i I think that uh, I am consoling myself in the reality of of Jesus as a sympathetic savior Mm. who identifies with the weakness that I feel and the weakness that the pandemic has imposed upon uh, me on our organization, upon our family, uh, that he's not up there immediately casting judgment, but he's <laughs> coming alongside of me in a sympathetic fashion, and uh, and and because of that, it inspires my faith to believe that our our best days are before us, which rallies my resilience and uh, and and makes me want to continue to to burn bright for Jesus. Wow, what we are good news people, are we not?
0: Brother, thanks so much
1: for coming on the podcast. Thanks for
0: inviting me, Jared. We've been speaking with Dave Harvey. You can find his uh, new book, The Plurality Principle, from uh, Crossway Books, wherever good books are found. You can find Dave online at amicalled.com, revdaveharvey.com, or you can follow him on Twitter. And until next time, dear listener, may Jesus be big in your church. You've been listening to the For the Church podcast, hosted by Jared Wilson, found online at ftc.co. This resource is brought to you by Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, where we train leaders for the church.